I trust we're thankful for another opportunity to be in the Lord's house and trust that the Lord would bless us a little while to consider some things that's on my mind and I trust they are of the Lord and that he would, they would be beneficial to us. You know, we, uh, <coughs> scripture says in, uh, I believe it's Galatians, Chapter five, verse seventeen says, "For the lust, for the says, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary one to another, so that we cannot do the things that we would, because we're fallen creatures in Adam, and we are, we have, uh, we have to deal with our, our nature. It's you know we're born in this world, depraved sinners of Adam's law." Progeny, uh, progeny, his descendants. Um, we deal with sin. We have sin in our members. Paul said in Romans chapter seven, "I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing." So we have that which is in us. Uh, over in James, talks about that we're uh, the Lord doesn't tempt any of us with sin, but we're drawn away into sin. We're tempted with our own lusts. We're drawn away. So we have sin in our members and we, we try to serve the Lord best we can, but sin in our depraved nature by nature is, is, uh, trying to drag us backwards and to try to dominate us. And that's why he says here that the, uh, flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh so that we cannot do the things that we would. Paul in Romans 7 talks about this warfare. When I would do good, evil is present with me. And the good I would, that do I not. And that, uh, that truth there, you know, we, we struggle with this Christian warfare. Um, God has given us different, uh, at times in Ephesians talks about there's a Christian, uh, armor we're supposed to put on, which can help, uh, you know, in this warfare. Uh, Satan is a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's, you know, uh, <clears throat> tries to influence us. He's an accuser of the brethren. All kinds of things we have to deal with. Uh, I want to talk, I want to look at scripture here briefly this morning, found in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, <coughs> which has to do with our warfare and trying to live a right life before the Lord, get along in life best we can and our service to him in second Corinthians chapter 10 he says for though we walk in the flesh we do not war after the flesh he says for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We see here that in this warfare that we have, he says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalted itself uh, <coughs> against the knowledge of God, and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That text says that we have thoughts that are need to be brought into captivity. Uh, sometimes we ha- you have uh, we have thoughts that needs to be put in a cage like a maybe a wild animal because we can have thoughts that aren't good thoughts. Can we not? Yeah, we sure can. Um, but this morning, uh, if the Lord be our helper, I'd like to I have this subject on my mind about uh, casting down imaginations. Casting down imaginations. There's, <clears throat> we have all kinds of imaginations, and what I want to get to across to you this morning is, when we talk about the imaginations, that, you know, God, you know, <clears throat> when God blessed us with a, a brain, you know, we have certain things that go on, goes on upstairs, you know, we have, God has blessed us with re- the power of reasoning, the power of memory, but He's also blessed us with imagination, all right? We all have imaginations, and that's a good thing because I would not be able to get up here and describe to you anything that I saw out here and you hadn't seen it either. Uh, if I described it, the only way you could understand it is if you used your imagination and kind of imagined 
what I was talking about, right? Uh, we wouldn't, if it wasn't for the imagination, it's a great blessing if we use it in the right way. Uh, we wouldn't be meeting in a nice fine building like this if somebody did, wasn't able to have at one point in time the imagination of taking some raw materials and building a structure like this. So we can imagine certain things. I heard a, a story not long ago about how the paperclip was invented. That there was a man, I think in New England somewhere, I think it was New York City, he was waiting on a bus or something, and he had, uh, just waiting, killing time, he had a piece of wire in his hand, and he just started manipulating it, you know, like people would do, and he looked down there, and he, he could imagine that, that thing holding paper together. And that's how he had a paper clip. So we have imaginations. And I'm gl- I'm thankful for imaginations. If we didn't have imaginations, we wouldn't have a lot of the medical uh, advances that we have today. People imagining being able to do this, that, or the other. All right. So imaginations in and of themselves is not bad, but the problem is that our imagination is is affected by the fall and is depraved, just like anything else about us. We have depraved imag- uh, imaginations, so we can have vain imaginations. And we can imagine things and it's, it's affected by the, by the fall. And what I mean by that is that usually when we, uh, it's easy to imagine bad things about people, but it's kind of hard to imagine good things sometimes, right? So I want us to see that, uh, you know, the imagination is depraved that we kind of look to the downward side when we imagine things. And what I, what I really want to don't lose focus of, we talk about the imagination is, he's, God says that if we're going to serve the Lord acceptably, with reverence and godly fear, I mean, I threw that in from, from Hebrews 12, but if we're going to serve the Lord appropriately, there's, there's, there's a, there's something we need to do. We need to cast down some imaginations when they're not good. And, um, to kind of get us going and try to look uh, to try to bring this to light, I want us to see that the depraved nature of our imaginations. Let's turn to First Samuel. We're just going to go through some different places in the Bible where people imagine some things. Um, in First Samuel chapter one, there was a woman whose name was Hannah. She was uh, barren. She couldn't have children. So she prayed to the Lord fervently and poured out her heart unto God. That the Lord would give her a son. She said, if you'll give me a son, I'll give him back to you. And the Lord blessed her to have a son, and his name was Samuel. You remember the, you remember Samuel? The prophet Samuel? This is the prophet Samuel. His mother was Hannah. And she prayed one time that the Lord would give her a son. Alright? So we begin reading here, and it says, Let's just start reading in verse 10. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and, and wept sore. This is chapter 1, 1 Samuel 1, verse 10. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thy handmaid... And remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thy handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli, this is priest Eli, it says Eli marked her mouth. Verse 13 says, Now Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought that she had been drunken. One thirteen. what did I say? Okay. <clears throat> she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she had been drunken. And Eli said unto her, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Here in this occasion, here's this sister. She's praying to the Lord fervently, pouring out her heart unto the Lord. Eli sees her praying. She's not saying anything, but he sees her mouth moving. And in his imagination, 
He says, oh, she must be drunk. In his, her, his depraved imagination just jumps to the conclusion some bad thing. It didn't jump to the conclusion. He didn't imagine. Well, look at that dear sister over there praying and pouring out her heart before the Lord. Is that what she, is that what he thought? No, it wasn't. Because our imaginations are depraved. When we have limited facts, you know, a fact over here, a fact over here, and we don't know exactly what's going on, the imagination usually goes downhill. We usually jump, we usually will imagine something bad rather than something good. When we're in doubt, we don't have all the information, right? I mean, if, uh, if after, uh, service, people standing around here, there's a few sisters over here, talking over here in a corner, and, and there's another sister over here, and she happens to look over and see those sisters talking, and all of a sudden about three of them turn their head and look at you, and then they go back to talking. <clears throat> What's your imagination? Oh, what are they saying bad about me? We usually think it's they're saying something bad about us, right? It could be they're thinking, oh, look at that, that sister's, she's such a good mother and a good sister and she's always helpful. That's not usually what we think, is it? We don't imagine some good thing that they're saying about us, right? We usually don't. We're usually, our, our imaginations usually go downward and downhill. Eli looks at her and he says, oh, she must be drunk. She's jumping to a conclusion based on, he's, she, he's, and she's not drunk. She's pouring out her soul before the Lord, right? He only imagines some bad thing. And the important part of that is, you know, uh, you, you might have that imagination. You know, we're, we're depraved. We're going to think of the evil first. But he took it a step further. He acted on something he just imagined that he didn't know. You know, one of the, one of the, you know, sometimes I'll read over here in Jude and Second Peter chapter two. You know, it gives a big description of those who are unsaved people to whom the midst of darkness is reserved forever. And it tells a lot of their characteristics. Well, you know, I try to stay away from those characteristics. <laughs> You know, I mean, it talks about how they do things wickedly and sinfully. Well, over here in Second Peter chapter two, one of the things that it says that uh, about these people, it says they're brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed, who speak evil of the things which they understand not. All right, so um, I don't know which verse that is. That's either in Second Peter, but the, oh, it's verse twelve. But these, as natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things which they understand not. We ought to try to stay away from doing that. I mean, that was a, that's that's what wicked folks do. We're supposed to try to be serve the Lord, right? See, Eli was speaking evil of some things he didn't understand. He didn't know. He sees this woman over here; her mouth's moving, and he he not only imagines that she's probably drunk, but he acts upon it. Says, woman, put your wine away from you. See, he acts on something. And he's speaking evil to this woman. He doesn't understand what's going on because she's really praying. See, that's the kind of imagination we need to cast down. See? Uh, a group of people over here, they're talking, they look over at me, and, and then they go back to talking. I say, oh, they're probably saying something bad about me. Well, that's the kind of imagination that the Lord says we ought to cast off because we don't know. We should always work from facts. Not just, I think so, or my, what my depraved imagination might be moving me to, to, to believe, you see. I was preaching one time, uh, several years ago at a church I regularly preached at, and, uh, we, uh, at the end of the service, we usually at that church we have a handshake and everything. And as as this sister came through the line, she grabbed my hand, looked me square in the face, and she says, "You ought to get all the facts before you preach a sermon like that." I preached on backbiting and tail bearing. 
I'm going, I told, excuse me? I had no idea she'd been out backbiting and tailbearing. But I knew afterwards because she basically told me. See, she imagined in her mind, oh, he's trying to, he knows about this. He's trying to expose me to the whole congregation. I didn't know anything. I just preached on it because that's what's on my mind. The sins of the tongue. She didn't sit out there and think, you know, Brother Vince, he probably doesn't know what's going on with me. and That's probably what the Lord put on his heart. Maybe that's a message that the Lord's got for me. Did she imagine that? No, she didn't imagine that. She imagined that I knew about it and I was just trying to expose her to everybody. <clears throat> it's interesting the things that I've had people tell me you know, and during a handshake. <laughs> the one I, one I like is a brother come up repeatedly. He'd shake my hand and says, well, keep studying. Well, okay, well, I'll keep studying, brother. Yeah, like, you know, you didn't do too good today, but you just keep studying. Anyway, that's the difference. Uh, it's interesting. But anyway, her imagination was, that I had some evil design in what I was doing trying to expose her. You realize a lot of troubles we have between husbands and wives and families and churches come from our imaginations because we imagine this was said to spite me. They did that to be mean or whatever it may be. And we have an imagination that uh, tends to go downward. And we think the worst, you see. <clears throat> Let's say you have a son. He's off at college. He's coming back for the weekend. You know, from campus to your house, he's like exactly two hours, right? Two hours drive. He calls you on a Saturday morning, leaving at 8 o'clock in the morning. Says, I'm leaving right now, pulling out. I'll see you in a couple hours. Okay. He'll be here at home. Son will be home about 10 o'clock. Well, it gets to be 10.15. He's not there yet. It gets to be 10.30. He's not there yet. 10.40. What do you imagine happened? Oh, he's had a wreck. Something bad's happened to him, right? Don't we think? See, see, we tend to go downhill. We would not once think, well, you know what? He's such a loving young man. He loved his neighbors. He probably saw some little woman on the highway with a flat tire and he stopped to help her fix it. You know, help fix it for her. Is that what we jumped to that conclusion? No. We're thinking he's dead. He's in a hospital. What's happened to him? See, our imagination tends to go downhill and we think the worst. Alright? And then do you know what happens? If we have that imagination, something horrible's happened to him, and we act on it, you know what we start doing? We start worrying. Is he gonna live? Oh no, get in the car. We're gonna go, you know, we're acting on something that we don't have the information for. The imagination will get us in the wrong place. We need, there's some imaginations we need to cast down. Because we don't know that they're so. Okay? Lots of... Uh, and again, you say, well, I can't help it that I have this bad imagination. Well, you don't have to act on it. Cast it down. Alright? There's, there's, there's lots of examples in the Bible. Let's go to one in uh, Joshua. In the book of Joshua. Alright, let's see. Let's get over to Joshua. Chapter, I think it's 22. I'm not going to do a lot of reading because I, I got a lot of ground to cover. This is, this is where the children of Israel, after they had crossed the Red Sea, you know, after 40 years of wandering, you remember Joshua led them into the land and they took over all the ites of the land. And when everything was settled, you remember there was, uh, uh, Reuben, the Reubenites and the Gadites and half tribe of Manasseh. You know, they, they had cattle. And the land that they were in over in Moab there, on this side of Jordan, was better for their cattle. And they, they had petitioned and said, let us have our inheritance on this side of the land. 
All right. So they've already, so, so they're all over here and they conquered all the people. And now they're going to go, that two and a half tribes is going to go back across the river to live in peace there in their land. But what they did was they, when they got to Jordan, they erected this replica of the altar. Okay. And, and they made this thing. I mean, it was a big thing and it was, and, and when the, the nine and a half tribes over here heard of that thing, that they had made this altar, they're not supposed to be sacrificing on that altar. Alright? You know, they thought that they were disobeying the commandment of the Lord. And so the nine and a half tribes, they rose up because they imagined an evil purpose for this. They rose up and were going to go to war against the two and a half tribes. So they came. Well, it turned out they weren't going to sacrifice on that. It was just a memorial betwixt the nine and a half and the two and a half tribes so that in days to come, you know, basically we're, 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 we're moving out of Canaan, but we don't want you to forget that we're part of Israel. Now that's in my own words, what was going on. We're, we haven't disobeyed the word of the Lord, the command of the Lord. We're not going to sacrifice on this thing. It's just a memorial because it looks like the replica of the ark you, I mean the, the altar you've got and we've got a replica showing that we're of Israel too. Well, when they explained that, it averted a war. That's a good thing, right? But what I want you to tell you is they didn't, those nine and a half tribes, they just imagined that that was for some evil purpose and then they started acting upon it and was fixing to go to war. Okay? What they, they should have, and, and I'm glad they found out the facts. And they at least talked to them first, right? And they found out, oh, my imagination was wrong. But I can show you another place. Let's turn to 2 Samuel chapter 10. <clears throat> Based Upon an imagination, there was a war, and over 40,000 people lost their life. And the whole root of the thing was an imagination. And it has to do with the depravity of our imagination. Because this king, let's just read here, in Second Samuel chapter 10 verse 1, it came to pass after this that the king of the children of Ammon died. And Hanan, his son, reigned in his stead. Then said David, I will show kindness unto Hanan, the son of Nahash, as his father showed kindness unto me. And David sent to comfort him by the hand of his servants for his father. Alright, so here's this king of Ammon had died. He had shown kindness unto David. David, out of respect and honor, sends an entourage there to, to into the country to comfort his son, out of respect, because his father had done him a great kindness. That's why they were going. Which is a good thing, right? Going to pay our respects, comfort the son, you know, you got, your father was a good guy, he befriended me. Well, that, was more than the son could imagine. I can't imagine that being true. See, we imagine bad things. We don't tend to imagine good things. But man, we can swallow bad things down like a you know pot of boiled okra. You know, just slides on down. A bad you know the bad thoughts. Oh, it's got to be something else. So the counselors for this son said, you know, don't think they're coming here to pay tribute and honor your father. They're coming here to spy out the city so they can overthrow you. That was their imagination. You recognize that was just their imagination? That is not why David sent that group of folks there. But this evil imagination, oh, it's got to be some nefarious uh, act. It says, the princes of the children of Ammon said unto Hanun their lord, thinkest thou that David doth honor thy father? That he has sent comforters unto thee? Which that was true. They didn't believe it. They imagined something else. It says, Hath not David rather sent his servants unto thee to search the city and to spy it out and to overthrow it? Wherefore, uh, wherefore Hanan took David's servants and shaved off the, the, the one half of their beards. 
and cut off their garments in the middle, even to their buttocks, and sent them away. Basically, he shaved half their beard. I guess it's this way. I, I mean, I don't know how you do it other ways, but shaved their beards halfway and basically gave them mini skirts and sent them home. That's what, that's what they did. And they, they went and they stayed in the city till their beards were grown out. And, and what happened is the children of Ammon, they, they gathered together for war. And they had a big war. And 40,700 of the Ammonites died in a war simply because of the vain imagination that this son and his counselors had. They, they couldn't imagine, listen to me, that the, the, the mind is depraved, that the imagination is depraved. They couldn't imagine this good news being true that David is coming and is to comfort and honor the, you know, because of your father. I mean, that's, a, that's a good thing, right? We go to people's funerals. We go, uh, you know, the people of state, you know, the president don't always go. If someone dies in state of another country, they'll send an entourage. That's a good thing. It's a respectable thing. They couldn't imagine that being true. But it's easy to imagine some evil purpose. That's again is an example of our, our, our imagination is depraved. Lots of times there'll be, you know, it's, 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 a lot of times there's, there's bad news brought to people and they just swallow it right up. They can believe bad news, but you bring it, you send them some good news. Oh, it's so I can't even imagine the good news being true. You know, I think about over there in uh, Genesis chapter 37. You remember, you remember, you remember, uh, uh, Joseph? You remember he got sold as a slave, right? <clears throat> they, his brothers hated him. And God, of course, daddy was playing favorites. Don't ever do that. Joseph was a favorite. He made him this coat of many colors. And, uh, he sent them over in, uh, Genesis chapter 37. He sent them down to, uh, sent <clears throat> father, Jacob sent Joseph down to see how his brethren were doing. His brethren end up putting him in a pit. And they sold him to some Midianite merchant men. And David's on his way to Egypt. Alright? Well, you know what happened then? I mean, they're going to go back home and Dad's going to say, Where's Joseph? Where's Joseph? So they took his coat of many colors. They dipped it. They killed a, a, a goat and put dipped him in blood. And they brought it back to Daddy. And they said, Tell us whether this be your son's coat or no. We'll just start reading right here. It says... Uh, <clears throat> Verse 31, they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats and dipped the goat, uh, the coat in the blood and they sent the coat of many colors which they brought to it to their father and they brought it to their father and said, we have found this. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. Now you'll notice they didn't come and say with the story, you know, Joseph's dead. No, they didn't have to. They showed him this coat and they just let the... You know, Jacob's mind go to work. His imagination go to work. And here, when they showed him the coat of many colors, had the blood on it, he said, he says he knew it, and he said, verse 33, it is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph, without doubt, is rent in pieces. You see, his imagination went to work, right? He's expecting the worst, right? But look at what he said. He said, he said, he's rent, a, a evil beast has devoured him. He says, no doubt, no doubt about it, he's dead. Well, was he dead? No. Wasn't dead at all. He's on his way to Egypt. But Jacob's imagination says, oh, he's dead. It's easy for him to believe that. But you fast forward about 22 years. After a couple of trips of his brothers, Joseph, Joseph's brothers into Egypt, the brothers come back to daddy and say, in chapter 45, says Joseph is alive. We've seen him. And he's a, a ruler over Egypt. Now he's bringing them some good news. It's true news. But Jacob couldn't imagine it being true. It says he didn't believe, it says for his heart fainted and he believed it not. 
Now, if you had, this is like 22, 23 years later, if you'd had a child, a, a son or a daughter that had been, you know, a, that you had, they'd been gone since year 2000, and you, you know, just assume that they're dead, and you had a messenger come to you and say, guess what? Your son, your daughter is alive. I've seen him. I've talked to him. Wouldn't that be something you'd want to believe? That your son you thought was dead for 22, 23 years, that he's really alive? Isn't that something you'd want to believe? Surely it is. But he, but Jacob couldn't imagine that being true. Oh, no, I can't imagine that being true. Well, see, it's easy for him to think that he was dead. Oh, that's just a fact. No doubt he's dead. The imagination will always go down. Alright? Downward. Alright, we look in here, uh, we see this many places. Let's go to the New Testament in Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. You know, after the death, burial, after the death and burial of the Lord Jesus Christ, you remember time and time and time and time again, Jesus said that the Son of Man shall be delivered in the hands of wicked men, they shall kill him, and he'll rise again the third day. Right? Time after time, he says, I'm gonna rise the third day. I'm gonna rise the third day. Well, he's been in the tomb, and when it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, very early in the morning, it says 24 verse 1 of Luke, he says, they came unto the sepulcher and, and brought spices. These are those women. Those sisters came with spices to anoint his body. And they came, and they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher, and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed, behold, two men stood by them, and they basically said, why seek ye the living among the dead? Verse 6, he is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto thee when he was in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. Well, man, they, they beat it on back to where the apostles were with the news. He's not in there. He's risen. Do you know what they said? <laughs> Verse 11 says, And their words seemed as idle tales, and they believed them not. We can't imagine that being true. He's risen from the dead. Can you think of any better news since the foundation of this world that Jesus Christ had died for our sins and He rose from the dead? Wouldn't you want to believe that? Oh, but they, they, they couldn't imagine that being true. They said, they said, you know, they just seemed like idle tales. See, the imagination depraved. It's always going to imagine the worst. It's easy to, 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 uh, imagine the bad things. But this is almost too good to be true. Right? Let's look at another example. Acts chapter 12. See, our imagination is so depraved, sometimes it's hard to believe the good news. See, it's good news. And it's true news. But they couldn't imagine it being true. Here in Acts chapter 12, we find that Herod had... Uh, uh, King Herod had stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church. He'd already killed James with the sword. Peter's in prison, and he's going to uh, uh, after, he's going to take him out, and he's going to slay Peter. Right? Peter's in prison. You know where the church is? They're met down here in the house praying for his welfare. Lord, deliver Peter. Lord, save Peter. All right. They're met there to pray for Peter. Lord, deliver Peter. Well, we you know what happened. The angel of the Lord came, busted through, opened all the gates, all the bars, led him out. Delivered him out of that prison and from Herod's grasp. Herod, Peter goes on down where they're praying for him at the house. He knocks on the house. A little woman named Rhoda comes. And when she finds out Peter's out there, she runs back in. Says, Peter's here. Our prayers have been answered. You know what they said? You're mad. Which in proper English means you're insane. What do you mean? Peter's down there in prison. I mean, isn't that good news? I mean, they're praying for the very thing happened what they're praying for. And when the good news comes, they couldn't imagine that being true. Could not imagine that being true. They've been praying. We're supposed to pray in faith, right? Boy, but they couldn't imagine that being true. Couldn't imagine. The imagination goes downhill, not so much uphill. Uphill, alright? And when they finally came and saw him, it says they were astonished. Still hard to believe. Can't imagine that the Lord actually answered our prayer. <clears throat> Alright? The imagination. We're very quick to believe 
bad things and very slow to believe the truth sometimes because we can't imagine certain things being true. Um, <coughs> let's go, go with me to, just to show you how fickle the imagination is, let's go to Acts chapter 27, 28. You remember Paul was on the way to Jerusalem and he had shipwreck. You know, the Eurachlodon, the big uh, hurricane type storm that they had. You remember he was shipwrecked, right? And we find in Acts chapter 20, let's see, 27, talks all about it in 27. How that he said, except you stay on the ship, you cannot be saved. You know, he was under arrest, right? And so, they tried to lighten the ship and all this stuff, but finally the ship was broken up and they all were grabbing hold and they came in on boards floating and they came in to a little island and they were all saved. Alright? Paul didn't lose his life through that shipwreck. And so, it says here that... Uh, Verse 44 of chapter 27 says, And the rest, some on boards and some on broken pieces of ship. And so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. Alright, they averted being drowned by a shipwreck through a storm. Well, it says, start reading here in 28.1, And when they were escaped, then they knew that the island called Melita and the bar. Barbarous people showed us no little kindness. That means they showed them kindness. It says they showed us no little kindness, for they kindled a fire and received us every one because of the present rain and because of the cold. That was a cold rain. Alright? And he says, And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though the, he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. You see that imagination? They don't know what's going on. They, they, they're showing him some kindness, and they see a venomous, lethal snake take hold of his hand. And so... They come to the conclusion, he must be a murderer. I mean, God was trying to get him by the sea. He escaped the sea, but now the snakes got him and vengeance suffered him not to live. They think he's a low-down crook murderer. Was he? No. That's just their imagination. And then he flipped that thing off and he didn't fall down dead. He didn't even swell. And they looked at him, and then you know what they said? He's a god. They imagined he must be some kind of a god, because he didn't fall down dead. This is a poisonous snake. He should be dead. He must be some kind of a god. You see how fickle the imagination is? I mean, two seconds before, they thought he was a low-down murderer. Now they're thinking he's a god. It's just their imagination. You see. We can have all kinds of imaginations. And our imagination will give us trouble. Let's turn with me to first Kings. And these imaginations, when we, when we realize we don't know the facts, we don't know what's going on, we need to acknowledge we don't have the facts, we don't know what's going on, and I need to cast down that imagination and not assume my imagination's true and act on a vain imagination that I may have that's not true. And that I do something or I speak evil of the things I don't know, understand not. Alright? But here, let's look in 1 Kings chapter 19. This is Elijah the Tishbite. You know, he was the one that prayed. It didn't rain for like three and a half years. Then he rained, prayed and it, it rained again. That James talks about in James 5, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That Elijah prayed that it not rained, it didn't rain, then he prayed it rained, then it did rain. You'll, you'll find that account at the end of chapter 18 where he prayed that it rained. 
And the rain began to come again. And verse 19 says, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. And actually, this what made Jezebel upset is right before he, made, he, he prayed and the Lord caused it to rain again, he went up against 450 prophets, false prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of the grove. Elijah went up against 850 false prophets. And basically, they, they uh, put their sacrifices up, these uh, false prophets, and they cried and they yelled to their God and they cut themselves and all this stuff to try to uh, fire fall from heaven and consume all their, their uh, sacrifices and it didn't happen. And then Elijah, he prepared these altars with these animals. He took four barrels of water and poured on them and the ditches around the side did that like three different times. And the God, God of heaven brought fire down, consumed the burnt offerings, the sacrifices, and the water and everything. And then the, four, then the 850 false prophets, I believe, if I remember right, they got killed. <clears throat> now then, he may cause, you know, the rains came, but now Jezebel's kind of upset because he's just killed 850 of the Lord's uh, of the uh, Baal's prophets, the false prophets. And it says here in uh, 1 Kings 19, after Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword, then Jezebel sent a message, messenger unto Elijah saying, So let the gods, that's a small G-O-D by S by the way, so let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life, as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. In other words, the death sentence out on you. And he takes off. He runs for his life. And uh, when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. And I'm not going to go through all happened there. But at one point, here in verse 5, no, verse 4. Okay, let's keep reading. Verse 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life for I am not better than my father's. Elijah saw the end of the road. This is the end of the road. Just take my life. That's how despondent he was. I'm at the end of the road. Just take my life. But I'm going to tell you that it was just his imagination that he was at the end of the road. He wasn't at the end of the road. Because as we're going to see, God came to him later and says, you get up. And I, he didn't say this like this, but he said, this isn't the end of the road. I'm going to send you to anoint. He anointed a king, uh, two kings and a prophet. Okay? But listen to what he says. When he starts talking to the Lord, verse 14, here's what Elijah said. And I want you to see, part of this is his imagination. And I think the part that caused him to say, Lord, take my life, was simply his imagination. Look what he tells, tells the Lord in verse 14. He says, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy Covenant. He knew that. He knew they had forsaken his covenant. They had forsaken thy covenant. He tells them five things. They had forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. There's one of those things that's not true. Yes, they had forsaken the Lord, the covenant of the Lord. They had thrown down the altars. They had slain the prophets and sure enough, they were seeking his life to take it away. All those four things were true. But that fourth thing he mentioned was not true. What was that? He says, I alone am left. I'm all that's left. Well, that was just his imagination. And I suspect, I don't know, but I suspect that's the one like, Lord, just end it. I'm at the end of my road. Just take my life, Lord. I'm the only one left. Well, the Lord came to him and says, you know, you're not the only one left. I reserved to myself 7,000 to not bow the knee to the image of Baal. You're not the only one left. 
But that was simply his imagination. And we can act on our imaginations. He was acting upon his imagination, if that's the one that put him in this position, I think it was, and says, Lord, just take my life. That's It's the end of the road. You know, you can come in life, I can come to a point in life, and you can come to the point in life, you say, oh, what's it worth? It, you know, nothing's going good for me. You think it's the end of the road. My friend, it may not be the end of the road, it may just be the bend in the road. You know, I was coming, driving this morning, and I was going down a long, straight pathway. Road was going out, and I saw a tree line right in front of me, in the distance. And I kept going, I kept going, and the tree line's getting, it's getting bigger as I'm going down this straight road towards it. It looks like it's the end of the road. But the closer I got, I found out, oh, there's a bend in the road. That's not the end of the road. I could imagine that being the end of the road, but that's just my imagination. Let's not follow through and, and act on our imaginations. We need to act on what's true. All right? This was not the end of the road for him, but he sent him out. He says, I, he says, the Lord said unto him that, uh, you're not the only one here. He says, return thy way in the wilderness of Damascus and anoint Hazel to be king over Syria, Jehu to be king over Israel, and you anoint Elisha to be prophet in your stead. The Lord still had work for him to do, even though through his imagination, he came to the point in life, he thought, man, this is all it is. It's the end of the road. It wasn't the end of the road. Just his imagination kind of put him toward the end of the road. All right? Not the end of the road at all. Those are imaginations that we need to cast down. Uh, <coughs> there's other examples in the Bible. Uh, <coughs> let, let's 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 look at uh, <coughs> you remember Naaman, who was a leper. Right? <clears throat> Can't remember where that is right now. Do y'all know where that is? Y'all help me. Y'all help me a while ago. Let's see. Na Naaman's going to be in. Uh, that's a number. No? Numbers. Where is it? Second. Second Kings nine, maybe? Yeah, it's gonna be in Second Kings because Elijah Okay. It's Elisha, right? So it's gonna be in Second Kings. All right, let's turn over there and see if I can find this. Five, chapter five, thank you. So Naaman, right? So he's a leper, right? And so in his um at some point he had picked up in probably a war or he would picked up a little Hebrew maiden and she was a servant to him. So she's there, he's there at Syria and, and he's got this little woman and, but Nathan, I mean, Naaman is a leper. And the little woman says, you know, would to God my Lord had been, you know, was in Israel because there's a prophet over there that could cleanse you of your leprosy. Right? And so, um, Ended up, he sent a letter to the king, and anyway, he ends up going there. And he goes to see Elijah. I mean, Elisha, I'm sorry. He's going to see Elisha. Okay, uh, verse 8. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel, okay, let's just, let me, okay, let's, let's look here. Um, everything I said was right. You know, would to God he, you were in Israel because there's a prophet over there that can deliver you, recover you from your leprosy. So the king of Assyria wrote a letter and sent, uh, sent him with some, uh, uh, gold and silver and changes of raiment. And he brought a letter, verse six says, he brought a, he brought the letter to the king of Israel saying, now when this letter has come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman, my servant, to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. 
And it came to pass when the king of Israel had read the letter that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man doth send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore, consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. Now, there's some imagination going right there, too. He's just writing me this letter saying, you know, recover this man of his leprosy. He's he's trying to pick a fight. Well, he wasn't trying to pick the fight. See, it wasn't true. That was the king's imagination. But he sent him there to be healed or to be cleansed of his leprosy. Verse 8 says, And it was so, when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot, and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And when Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. That was the message. I mean, the man of God didn't even go out to talk to him. Didn't even go out to talk to him. Just said, here's what you do. Go wash in Jordan. You'll be clean. It made Naaman mad. Naaman, he says, it says, but Naaman was wroth. Verse 11. And went away and said, behold, I had thought he had imagined it all being different. He had thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord as God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. You know, some great ceremony. You know, do a little hand this, hand that, and you be healed. You know, usually like, you know, you see on TV, these, these faith healers, there's usually, they're doing this and that and they hitting you and all this, you know, some big, some big production. No, this isn't a big production. Name and thought in his imagination It'd be some big production. And he got mad. Did, let me ask you a question. Did anybody tell him there was going to be this big production and show to cleanse him of his leprosy? No one ever told him that, right? He imagined that's how it would be. And we can imagine things how they should be. You know, they're called expectations a lot of times. We have an expectation of how something's going to be. You know where we get our expectations sometimes? Whereby we get disappointed and depressed and despondent because what ha- what we expected didn't happen. Does that ever happen to you? I expected this, but it didn't happen. I'm so disappointed. This expectation was purely the product of his imagination. I hope you see some useful things here. We sometimes have expectations. And then we can get upset. Or we can get disappointed. Because we expected this. When it was never said it was going to be this way. We just either imagined or hoped it would. or imagined. He imagined some great ceremony. But it didn't happen that way, did it? All right. I want to, I want to mention as we try to call our uh, bring our attention the uh, mess uh, words to a close. I can't talk today. We bring our remarks to a close. Something about you remember those barbarians on the island? They saw some bad thing happen to Paul. I mean, here's a Here's they, he, got, he got a poisonous, lethal snake latched onto his hand. <clears throat> you know what they started to do? In their imagination, they tried to uh, uh, assign a reason for that. Here's some bad thing that happened. And I, I see this. People do this. Some bad thing will happen. Maybe their house burned down. Well, I wonder what deep, dark sin they've got. I mean, what, what Lord's punishing them for something. It's our imagination. Just because a person gets a house burned down or something doesn't mean they're out sinning. Oh, but we can use our imagination. Say this must be the, that that must what happened. 
You remember over there in John chapter 9 where they came to Jesus and there was a blind man that was born from his birth? And they asked the Lord, says, uh, who did sin, this man or his parents, that this guy was born blind? You know, they, they didn't, they just assumed it was because of sin. Which is really a dumb question anyway, because I mean, how could the, if, if, if the man was born as punishment for his sin, it couldn't have been his sin unless he sinned before he's born. Makes no sense. Who did sin, this man? Or his parents that this man was born blind. But it's a foregone conclusion, according to their imagination, that, you know, this, this man wouldn't be born blind except for someone's sins. That's just their imagination because the Lord tells them. It wasn't because this, neither this man nor his parents sinned that he was born blind, but to the glory of God. Alright? We try to assign Sometimes we imagine, oh, this happened, this happened. We tried, we don't have all the facts. When we don't have the facts and we're in doubt of something, we'll use our imagination. You remember Job, right? Job's three friends, or you can call them miserable comforters, right? They're going to comfort Job. You know, that basically that whole book there where they're talking to him, you know what they're thinking? They're thinking, Job... What deep dark sin did you have in your life that all these things befell you? You, there's gotta be something there, Job. And they kept pressing him, what is it, Job? See, they're, in their imagination, they weren't privy to the conversation that Satan was having with the Lord and why those things came on Job. I mean, at one point, God said to Job, you've moved me to, uh, I want to get the right wording here. Job chapter 2. I think it is. Yeah, basically, uh, I can't remember. It says, you have, you have moved me to destroy him without cause. I'm not sure. I'll look that up. It's in there. Yeah, I wish I could find it here. Let's see. Yes, verse 3. He says, He's a perfect, upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil, and still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. There was no great sin, dark, deep, secret sin in Job's life that caused all these things to befall him. Didn't happen. But these three friends, their imagination so depraved, they're thinking, you know, there's got to be something. Just like those barbarians. You, you must, you're, you must be a murderer. This bad thing happened to you. Who did sin? There must be sin. This man was born blind. We can, we need to be careful about using our imaginations. Of course, after they kept on Job, there's God, tell us what it is, Job. Tell us what it is, Job. Basically, he, he became self-righteous. You know. I have done anything! I don't deserve this! That type of attitude. Alright. The point is, these are the imaginations. Casting down imaginations. Our imaginations are depraved. It will tend to go downward. It's easy to believe bad things. Hard to believe good things. And when we don't have all the facts, we have know something is here, we try to fill in the blank a lot of times with our imaginations. And we can speak evil of the things that we don't understand. Like Eli, you're drunk, woman. Those are type of imaginations we need to cast down. Because we don't want to be speaking evil of the things that we don't understand. We need to work with knowledge. Don't just assume. Don't just jump to conclusions about your motive or my motive or whatever it may be. We have a tendency to imagine. We imagine. And then we believe what we imagine and we act on what we imagine and... It may just be our imagination that we should have cast down when we had the imagination. Cast it down and not act upon it and wait for the information to be filled in if I don't have all the information. I heard a story just the other day. 
See, this is real life. There's a, and this is a small example, but <clears throat> there was a, a man I know. He's got a family. He's got his daughter playing sports. And they had a Saturday game not long ago. And he didn't end up coming to her game. And I heard the comment say, well, he probably doesn't care anything about his daughter. He's probably out hunting, fishing. You know, he doesn't, you know, blah, 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 blah. <clears throat> well, the truth was he had a required training for his work. He had to be there that day. He had to miss his daughter's sporting events. Right, that's just a, that's a real life example though. Here, this person was railed upon and it was imagined some bad thing. The reason he couldn't attend his daughter's event is some bad thing. And then they acted upon it and railed on this person and slandered this person when they should have, they had the imagination and they don't know what's going on. They should have cast down that imagination and not acted upon it because they don't know the details of why he didn't show up. Casting down imaginations. May the Lord bless us to cast down our imaginations and realize when it's just the things we think we know, it's just my reasonings and imaginations. And God bless us that we not act upon those but cast them down. May God bless you is my prayer.